welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Hey, thank you guys so much for being here. Glad you're in the house. Thanks, Faustoria. You guys are with us. Anybody else joining us uh, at Lighthouse Online? Really glad you are with us. We're actually kicking off a brand new series today called Guilt Gone, Finding Freedom in Response to God's Holiness. And uh, one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this subject is because we all wrestle with guilt. Every single one of us, we wrestle with guilt at various levels and varying degrees. And so I want to do a quick, this is confession time, all right? So first, how many of you in here, like maybe, maybe you didn't call it a resolution, but maybe you set some goal or you wanted to do some tweak, raise your hand if you had some change you wanted to do in 2023, like something different, yep, raise your hand, good, good, good. Okay, now, how many of you have already fallen short on some of that? Raise your hand, yeah, <laughs> right here. Me too, me too. So you may feel a little bit guilty for that. Uh, maybe you joined 21 Days. And then it was like day one and you already forgot, right? And uh, so it's like, I feel a little bit guilty over that. Um, but we, right, we, all, we all wrestle with guilt. And maybe you feel guilt because of something you said or something you did. Maybe you feel guilt because of something you didn't say or you didn't do that you could have or you should have. Um, maybe you wrestle with guilt for not spending enough time with your family. Maybe you uh, wrestle with guilt because I don't feel like I'm a good enough Christian, uh, whatever that is. But we all wrestle with guilt in decisions that we make. And, and for me, I, what I wrestle with guilt in is uh, not meeting my own expectations. For some reason, I just set really, really high expectations that I would never expect anybody else to meet, but I put them on myself, on myself and so yeah, all of us in here. Um, and uh, and what I do, it's like if I'm leading a meeting, it's got to be the best meeting ever. Uh, if I'm teaching a message, it's got to be a home run of a sermon. If uh, I'm spending time with my kids, it has to be the most amazing quality time that I can ever have with my children. And then what ends up happening? Well, the meeting is like ho-hum, the sermon is okay, and then like 40 seconds into spending time with my kids, I'm already annoyed about something, right? And so like it just, it doesn't go the way that I'd set these expectations, and then I feel guilt for all of those different types of things. And the big truth for this series that I hope you'll catch is this, is that God's holiness can set you free from the guilt that overwhelms you, and more importantly, from that which sources your guilt. God's holiness can do that. And that's why we're diving into this series uh, over the month of January. And so next week, when we look at week two of our series, we're going to answer the question, how does God respond to the sin in my life, all right? We're going we're gonna to unpack that. In week three, we're going to look at how do I respond to God's call in my life when he's inviting me to do something, inviting me to trust him, inviting me maybe into ministry or whatever it might be, how do I respond to his call? And then on week four, we're going to look at how do I respond or how do we together respond to affliction, to suffering, to the challenges that show up in our lives. And today... We're answering the question, how do I respond to God's holiness? Now, for some of you, you might be going, respond to God's holiness? I don't even know what holiness is, right? So I don't even know how to respond to that. So we're going to answer that question today. But we're also going to look um, at where, like, what is guilt and where does that come from? 
And how does God's holiness actually solve that? And so if you brought a Bible with you, if you will turn to Isaiah chapter 6, or you can click over there on your device. Isaiah is kind of like in the middle of the Old Testament. Just open your Bible about to the middle. If you're in Proverbs, you know, go towards the New Testament uh, a couple pages. You'll find Isaiah pretty quickly. But we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to start right in verse 1. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, but you can follow along in the version that you have. And starting in Isaiah 6. It says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face and with two, he covered his feet and with two, he flew and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so when we're looking at Isaiah chapter 6, and we see that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw three things. And we're going to unpack and talk about the three things that Isaiah saw in this passage and that he relays to us. The first thing that Isaiah saw was the Lord. That's the first thing. He said, I saw the Lord. And it's unclear whether what Isaiah is experiencing is a vision that maybe he's seen out in front of him or maybe in his mind, or if this is an experience like something Moses had on Mount Sinai when he was with God. We're not entirely sure which one it is. So what I like to refer to this as as a vision experience, right? It's like, it's really happening. It's taking place. Isaiah is seeing this thing. He's experiencing this thing. But no matter what it is, Isaiah saw God seated in the king's chair. And Isaiah saw God above him and exalted in in all of his greatness. And he says, I saw the, the royal robe that was coming off of him. The train of that filled the entire temple. And all of these things that Isaiah saw, he's pointing to God's greatness. That God is greater, is far above than absolutely anybody else. What Isaiah is describing in very vivid detail for us is what 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6 says. It says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. And, and Isaiah sees that, and he makes the point that God in his greatness, showed up in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, you need to know a little bit about Uzziah to understand why this is so critical. Uzziah was the king of Judah for 52 years. And for 52 years under his leadership, the nation of Judah experienced stability and strength 
and prosperity. And I mean, it was just this great season of unity in their entire nation. And everybody was like, yes, we've got God's man. This is awesome. He's finally in office. Everything's going fantastic. It could be any better because there's all this other chaos and turmoil going on all around us. And what had happened is that the nation of Judah had put all of their hope in King Uzziah that he's going to be the one who always takes care of them. And then what happened is it all went to Uzziah's head, and he got wrapped up in his pride, and he started doing things that weren't right for him to do. And actually, he, the scriptures say he died because of judgment for his pride. If you want to look more about that, you can go to Second Chronicles chapter 26 and find out all about what happened with Uzziah. But here you have this great king that everybody put their hope in, he's now dead. And I can imagine that the whole country was anxious and they wondered, who's going to take care of us now? Now that Uzziah is gone, who's going to care for us? And the prophet Isaiah said, that's when God showed up. That's when God showed up in his greatness and his splendor, revealing who he really is. When tragedy strikes in, in your life or in my life, when, when the most trusted relationship that you have goes away, uh, when the thing that you look to for stability and for strength and to sustain you is gone, what happens is there is a gap created and, and we start looking for something that is going to bring us hope. And it's amazing that in those moments, our eyes get opened up to God with greater clarity than ever before. It's in those moments that we seem to see God with remarkable clarity. And you need to know that many times God will use things like trouble. God will use things like tension. God will even use transition in your life to soften your heart and to open your eyes to who he is and who he can be in your life. And that's what's happening here. And Isaiah saw God. And you need to know that you can see God as well in your life. That's the first thing Isaiah saw. The second thing that Isaiah saw was the seraphim worshiping the Lord. So the second thing Isaiah saw was the seraphim worshiping the Lord. And he says, above the Lord, above him stood the seraphim. Now that word seraphim literally means fiery ones. So I imagine that these are beings that are just like either flames or they're engulfed in flames and they're amazing and they're incredible and they're just blowing Isaiah's mind. But no matter what, they're angelic beings and they have six wings about them. And that's all the more I really want to say about what they are because I want to spend far more time talking about what it is that they do. Because I think that's way more important for us today. But when you look in the scripture, you see that in the presence of God, the seraphim actually used most of their six wings to cover their faces and to cover their feet. Now, I want you to think about this. Holy, angelic beings who always stand in the presence of God, when they're in the presence of the Lord in this moment, they're covering their face and they're covering their feet because they don't feel worthy to be seen by the holy God of glory. And they don't even want to be looked upon by him. This is, this is a level of humility that these beings have. And what they do is they sing this song. They sing the song of praise, which is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. 
This is the song that they sing. What's interesting is this is the same song that the Apostle John records in the book of Revelation. Later, when he sees God seated on the throne, he says there were these angelic beings circling around God day and night. And day and night, they sang this song, which is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. And it says, and and they just sang that all day and all night. And they praised the Lord, holy, holy, holy. All the time. You know, it's funny because there's some people who uh, get really uh, annoyed or they complain about the new worship songs because they're like, you know, they're so repetitive. Like, yeah, just wait. (laughs) Wait until you get to heaven and and you see these beings who are just crying out to God's holiness again and again and his greatness. Do you know what holiness is? Like, like a, a real grasp. I know it's a word that gets used a lot in the church, or maybe you read it in the Bible. But let me give you just the base level of what holiness defined is. Holiness literally means to be set apart or, or to be marked off from common use, right? To be not ordinary, Set apart, because it's not ordinary. And so when, when the Bible is using the word holy to describe God, what it's pointing to is God's uniqueness. Is that there is nothing else that is like God. There is no one else who is like God. He stands alone in himself. No one is like the Lord God. That it's only the God, only our God who is high and lifted up. It is only our God who is seated on the throne in heaven. It's only God who tr- whose train fills the temple. Only God is the one that the heavens declare his glory, right? It's only God's glory that fills the earth. That only God, he's the only one who can tell Moses, you need to take your sandals off because this commonplace desert that you used to walk all around is holy because I just showed up and I change everything when I'm in the room. This is God's holiness, that he's not like you and me. He's different. Now, we're like him in many, many ways. But God's not like us. He's unique. He's great. He's awesome. He's mighty. And it's important for you to notice, especially in this passage, but God's holiness and glory always travel together. Actually, part of God's glory is his holiness is the fact that he is unique, that he is set apart, that he's like no one else. That brings weight, that brings glory, that brings the power of his presence alone. And so the seraphim talk about God's holiness, and they talk about God's glory together because you can't separate them. To talk about one is to actually talk about the other. And Isaiah saw the seraphim worshiping God's glory and holiness. And then the third thing that Isaiah saw was the reach of sin. He saw the reach of sin. And so here's Isaiah. He's overwhelmed with the glory and the holiness of God. And I've always thought that like, if I had an encounter personally, the way that Isaiah had an encounter, that I saw like God's holiness and his amazed glory, and I knew that and was amazed, I always thought that I'd be like, dude, this is cool. Right? Like, this is like, I would be in awe and amazed and be like, I'm so glad I get to do this. Look at the first words that Isaiah says 
after he realizes he's in the presence of the Lord. It's in Isaiah 6, 5. His very first words are this, woe is me, for I am lost. He doesn't say cool. He doesn't say, I got to tell my friends about this, right? He's not like snapping the selfie with the Lord in the background, right? Like none of that. He's a, he says, woe is me. Isaiah's a prophet. Do you know who prophets announce woe to? They announce woe to people who are under the judgment of God and are about to be destroyed. The prophet Jonah announced woe to the people of Nineveh. Jesus, who is prophet, priest, and king, announced woe to the religious fakers when he was walking on this earth. Isaiah announces woe to himself. He sees the Lord's holiness and he realizes that he's in no condition to stand in the presence of God. I'm under his judgment and I'm about to be destroyed. I'm not going to make it through this thing. And the first thing he recognizes is his own sin. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. That's the first place he goes. The second place he goes is I dwell in the midst of people who also have unclean lips. So he sees his own sin first, but then he realizes how wide, that it's not just about him. This is way bigger than him. And I love, one of the reasons I know that this is a legitimate encounter with God, and not some just religious thing that's going on, is because religiously, I'm really good at seeing your sin very, very quickly, right? I can see where you've messed up and screwed up and where you fell short, and the Bible talks about this, the Bible talks about that. So I can point out all the ways that you've fallen short and all the ways that you sin, and it takes a little bit longer for me to see mine, right? I'm sure you've never dealt with that before in your life. But Isaiah's in the presence of the Lord, and he's not pointing fingers at other people first. He realizes the place that he stands in. And I don't think Isaiah's casting judgment on the nation of Judah. What he's going, I think it's compassion. It's like, we're, we're all in the same boat here. Nobody gets to stand before the Lord on their own. Nobody can stand in his presence like this on their own. We're all going to be destroyed. We're not going to make it through this thing. Isaiah saw the log in his own eye before he pointed to the logs and the splinters in the eyes of others. And when he saw that, he mourned for himself and for those around him. This wasn't a moment of judgment. Rather, Isaiah realized that no one can stand before the Lord. And he saw himself for the first time the way that God saw him. Um, there's a guy by the name of Robert Burns. He's a, he's a Scottish poet from the 18th century. And he wrote a poem called To a Louse. Right? You, know what a, you know what a louse is? It's the singular of lice, right? So he writes a poem to, to one lice, one louse. And, uh, right, the most famous line from this poem is, you've probably heard it in some other form, but it's this. Oh, would some power give us the gift to see ourselves as others see us? Oh, would some power give us the gift to see ourselves as others see us? Now, Robert Burns wrote that poem after he was walking down the street one day, And he was walking uh, behind this woman, a very, very wealthy woman who had dressed herself to the nines and and put on everything she had and was walking, you know, very proud, very elegantly, kimona, right? Like just, I mean, she was the the cat's pajamas And, and looking down at everybody in amazement. And Robert Burns is walking behind her and he notices that she has a louse crawling 
on her bonnet that she can't see, but everybody else can see. And his thought is, I wonder how this woman would walk differently if she knew that there was a louse on her bonnet that we could all see. And she knew that she's just like the rest of us, that we're all the same. How would that change the way that she's interacting with everybody right now? See, being in God's presence, Isaiah, it's easy to set yourself apart when you're looking at other people who are similar to you and you're like 1% better than them. And you're like, hey, look at, look at how great I am. And yet when you're in the presence of a holy and glorious God, you realize none of us have the ability to stand in his presence. It was a gift for Isaiah to be able to see his sin. It was a gift for him to, to realize the guilt that he was weighed down with in, in the presence of the Lord, because that's what opened up the door for forgiveness and healing in Isaiah's life. And so he saw the Lord, he saw the seraphim worshiping God's holiness and glory, and he saw the wide reach of sin in his life. And, and I think what all of that does is it, if you stop there, you just go, okay, that's cool. You have to cross over to the next place and go, okay, what do we do with it? What does that mean for us? What does that look like? What do we do with this, this truth and this information? And I think if Isaiah were here today, what I think Isaiah would recommend to every single one of them is this, to every one of us, is that we would ask God to show us his holiness and his glory. I think that's what Isaiah would recommend. Just ask God to show you his holiness and glory. Just do it. Just ask him, right? Like, did you know you can ask God to reveal himself to you? That is a prayer that you can pray. That's a prayer he'll answer, right? Actually, there's another guy in the Bible by the name of Moses who prayed this exact prayer, right? Actually, let's read this prayer out loud together, starting with Moses said. Are you ready? Go. Moses said, please show me your, yeah, please show me your glory. And you know what? God did. God did. He hid Moses in the cleft of a rock, covered his hand as he passed by so that Moses could see the glory of him going by. And you know that God's glory and holiness always travel together. And so he glimpsed both of those from where he was. He asked for it, and the Lord gave it to him. And so ask God to show you his holiness and glory. And the reason why I think that we should ask God to do that is because we will, when you do that, you will see God in greater clarity, and you will see him as he is and not as you think he is. That's very important. See, I... I've, I've found this amazing phenomenon the longer that I've walked with Jesus. And I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you have seen this in your own life or experienced it. But uh, I've realized that the less I knew about God, the more I had him figured out. Have you been there? Right? The less I knew about him, the more I thought I had God figured out. Right? Oh, I know what God always does. And you know, I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not really understanding. He's like, oh yeah, I know God. And, and, and the less I knew about him, the more I thought I had him figured out. But now after following Jesus for 25 years, I literally committed my life to studying scripture and helping other people discover God through the Bible. I know more about him than I've ever known about him in this moment in my life. And I now see with greater clarity how big and how infinite and how uncontainable God really is, and that I will never be able to corner him in my understanding of who he is. And what that has done for me, it has actually invited me 
to rely on the truth of Scripture way more than relying on my own understanding, right? And so you'll begin to see God with greater clarity. But the other thing you'll see with greater clarity is yourself. And specifically, you will see your own sin with greater clarity. In light of God's holiness, you will see just how deep and wide sin's reaches in your life and around the world. And when you see that, you will actually feel the weight of your guilt pressing down upon you. Now, you might be wondering why. Why would I feel that guilt when I begin to see the clarity of my sin? Well, the first reason is this. If you're not a Christ follower, if you've not put your hope in Jesus Christ, then actually you are living under the verdict of guilty all the time. You are living under the condemnation of guilt for your sin and your rebellion and your choice to live without God's leadership over your life, living life under your own rules and under your own guidance. And so you're just simply living with the verdict of guilty on top of you all of the time. But the second reason you begin to feel your guilt is because you realize that there's nothing that you can do to solve it. And it weighs things down even more. See, here's the thing. You may not know this. This is the secret of guilt. The secret of guilt is that that guilt is this internal sense that begins to well up within us when our behavior is in conflict with our conscience. Okay? Guilt comes when our behavior is in conflict with our conscience. Now, if you go a layer deeper than that, you have to realize that every single one of us, whether you believe in God or not, whether you follow Jesus or not, you are created in the image of God. You have God's thumbprint on you no matter what. You have his identity within you. Now, it's all marred, and it's all covered up, and it's been distorted by sin, but it's in there. It's in you. It's on you. And when we live outside of our true identity, we feel the weight of our guilt because we know we stand condemned. And what happens is guilt lingers because we can't do anything to solve it, or we won't do anything to resolve it. And so the weight lingers, and guilt builds, and we do what we can to distract it, distract ourselves from it, but it stays. And we've all felt it, right? Maybe it's the guilt of a broken relationship that there is literally nothing you can say that will bring restoration to that relationship. Or maybe it's the guilt of, a, of an opportunity that you missed and you cannot go back and get a second chance at that thing. It's over. And there's nothing you can do to resolve it or make it right. right? You can't fix sin on your own. And, and listen, you, you have to understand this. You have to catch this overwhelmingly. You have to see your own sin and you have to see the reality that there's absolutely nothing that you can do to fix it. Okay, Now, some of you may be going, this is the worst opening New Year's like sermon series I've ever heard. Like, you're supposed to build me up, man. I'm coming in for like hope and optimism and all this kind of stuff, and you're weighing me down with guilt and sin and all these different types of things. But listen, you, you have to see this. You have to recognize this because you have to understand that not only is there a louse on your bonnet, but you are actually covered in lice. You are unclean. And there's nothing you can do on your own to solve that. You have to see that you deserve to be shut out from God's blessing and from God's presence. You have to see that on your absolute best day, you don't even show up as a blip 
on the radar of glory and holiness. You have to see that. And I know you're, the question's lingering. You're going, why? Why do I have to see that? Why do I have to feel the guilt of my, or why do I have to feel the weight of my guilt? Because there's a promise tied within that. It's actually, it's found in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I want to read this passage out loud together, starting if we say, let's just, all of our locations, let's read this out thoughtfully, slow, are you ready? Go. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from That's the promise. You don't get to verse 9 without going through verse 8. You cannot bypass the reality of your sin and the reality that there's nothing you can do to solve it and move right on to verse 9. Because if we don't recognize our sin, we are fooling ourselves. And, and the truth doesn't reside within us. But if we're willing to look at it, if we're willing to see it, there's, there's faithfulness, there's forgiveness, there's cleansing. And it's when God opens up your eyes to your sin, that's when the gospel becomes good news to you, Right? Because you see for the first time that the God who his eye and lifted up, who sits on the throne, whose robe, whose train fills the entire temple and whose glory fills the earth, he stepped down from his throne. He removed his robe and he put on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus, who is God, lived the life. I want you to catch this. Jesus lived the life of set-apartness to God and set-apartness from sin that you and I were supposed to live, but we didn't. And then Jesus died the death that you deserve because you're not holy as God is holy. Right? And so now, because of his death and his resurrection, and by faith, you and I can be forgiven and we can be cleansed, and the weight of our guilt is taken away. And you have to see that God solved our sin, and God removes our guilt through Christ. And when you're a Christian, there is no longer guilt, there is no longer condemnation, because you're not living under the verdict of guilty, or you're living under the verdict of innocent. And actually, you're living under the verdict of son and daughter. Right? And so I would say this, if you live with overwhelming guilt and condemnation on your life, I would talk to the Lord about that, and I would ask other people, because you, that may be a sign that you have been relying on yourself to try to solve your sin instead of trusting God to take care of that for you. And so ask God to show you his glory and his holiness. And I think when you ask him that, he's going to lead you to two places. He's going to invite you to look into two places. The first place I know he's going to invite you to look is to his son, Jesus. 
That's the first place I know he's going to invite you to look. Because some of you are going, oh, this is so great. I can't wait to have my Isaiah 6 experience. Like when I'm in the temple and like God shows up and fills her up, like I'm going to hang out in the church for the next day and a half. And then, then like, I know God's going to come here, right? Listen, you're not going to have an Isaiah 6 experience. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's not going to happen, okay? Not because he doesn't love you and he doesn't want you to know him. But here's the reason why. God has already put his glory and holiness on full display for everybody to see through Jesus. And now if you want to see God, you look to Jesus. That's what he said in John chapter 14 to some of his friends. They're like, hey, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And we talked about this passage uh, during our Christmas series, John chapter 1 verse 14. uh, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you want to see the glory and the holiness of the Father? It's found in Jesus. And so go to, go to Matthew, go to Mark, go to Luke, go to John. Look at the Gospels, look at the Scriptures that are pointing to Jesus, and you will see the glory of God. The second place that I think God will lead you to see his glory and his holiness is actually the church. And not because the church is the radiance of God's glory, uh, not at all, but rather it's because of what we do. This is exactly what we do. We constantly point each other to the glory of God. We constantly invite each other to pursue the holiness of God in our own lives to see it. And so on Sunday morning, it's like, look at the Lord. In Lighthouse Kids, look at the Lord. In students, look at God. Small groups ministry, we're constantly pointing to the holiness and the glory of God that if you would just see him in clarity, it would transform your life. Because it's not better life hacks that you need. You don't need better habits or better disciplines. What you need is a better view of who God really is. And when that happens, that will transform your life. It'll change you. It's it's exactly one of the reasons why last week we started this initiative we called 21 Days, Seeking God First through prayer and fasting. And so uh, last week, across uh, three of our locations, we had like well over 100 people that at least let us know. I, I would imagine there's even more that didn't tell us that they're going, I'm seeking God first for the first 21 days of 2023 through prayer and scripture and fasting because I, I want to see God. I want to know God. I want to I experience him in his glory and his holiness. I want him to change me. I want him to transform my life. And so maybe you're here today, and, and you jo- you're joining us, and you missed the kickoff, kickoff of that last week. Well, I want to tell you what, we are starting a totally brand new initiative. We've never done this before, but it's a whole new thing. We're calling it 14 Days of Seeking God Second. <laughs> All right, okay, I'm just kidding. We're just, here's what I want to tell you. If you missed out and you didn't join last week, that's okay. Um, You could start today. Uh, 21 days isn't better than 14. It's just different. And so maybe you'd say, man, I want to pursue that. I want to know God in that way. I want to know him through fasting and prayer and scripture as well. And so if you want to jump in on 21 days, mark the back of your connection card. I will send you all the content that we sent to the previous group so you can start walking with us in that. And man, see how God might transform your life over the next two weeks. The other thing I would encourage you to do as a next step, really, really consider joining a small group um, simply because these are little clusters of people all over the region who they're just seeking the holiness and glory of the Lord. 
And, and we understand that we do that actually better together than we do in isolation, right? And so these are people that just want to know God. And quite frankly, people who are in a small group, they just experience spiritual growth in, in, a, in a greater way. They're, they're, they're seeing their lives being transformed overwhelmingly walking together. And so just the simple decision of joining a small group can markedly change your life as well. So again, use your connection card. We can help you sign up for a group. But when, when you see God's holiness, it will transform your life. What will happen is, is you will get this clear glimpse of who God is. Uh, you, will, you will begin to see his holiness and glory. You'll begin to see yourself in this fresh way, actually rightly. And then when you see just how sinful that you really are, you begin to realize how much God really does love me. And, and the lengths that he has gone. I realize how wide and deep my sin is, but it begins to show just how wide and deep and long and high is the love of Christ for you, that God would do that in your life. It'll change you. It'll well up compassion towards other people who are in the exact same boat that you're in. And you're simply saying, hey, schlub off the weight of that guilt. Come walk with me in the Lord. It's so good, right? Ask God to show you his holiness and his glory. I want to invite you to bow your heads at all of our location. Close your eyes. And I want you to ask this question. We ask it every week, but I think it's a profound question. It's just simply this. Jesus, what, what are you saying to me right now through this message? And I just want you to listen to him for a moment. Staying in a mode of prayer, we're, we're actually going to spend some time just journeying into confession together. And so I'm just going to ask right now, just nobody leave the room. If you're at Foster, nobody leave the room at the, during this time. Unless you have an emergency, that's different. But let's just focus in our thoughts on the Lord. And I want to I walk us through together just a time of seeking the Lord's glory and holiness and a time of confession. And so what I want to invite you to do is to simply ask the Holy Spirit to reveal your own sin to your life? What are ways that you are walking without God or walking in opposition to how he would lead? Ask the Spirit to reveal that to you right now. Chances are good that it doesn't take long, right? I had one just pop up immediately as soon as I was thinking, and there are more right on the tail end of that. Here's what I want to invite you to do. It's going to take courage, but I want to invite you to tell the Holy Spirit, I see that too. I see what you see. And what I want to ask you to do is to resist cleaning it up or making it sound nicer or better than it is, but tell the Holy Spirit what it is that you see. Don't say, well, I just, I just struggle to describe things with clarity. It, just call it what it is, it, lying. I struggle with lying. 
I, I, I just care about people. And I want other people to know what's going on in the lives of others. It's just gossip. Just, just call it that. It's like, well, I, I, have, I have lust of the flesh. And I was like, no, you, you want to look at pornography. You want to look at other things like that. Just call it what it is. Don't clean it up. Let the Spirit show you the ugliness. And tell him I see it too. And call it what it is. And now I want to invite you to tell him that you're sorry. Just let him know I'm sorry that I've been pursuing that. I'm sorry that I've made that a leading point in my life that I keep allowing that to step in. Will you forgive me? I'm going to tell you God's answer. If you ask for forgiveness and faith, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And so I want you to take a moment and I want you to thank the Lord that your forgiveness is granted not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished for you. And now let's take a moment and pray a prayer of empowerment together. Father, you have known this about us before this moment. We have not confessed anything to you that you were not aware of, and I thank you for that. I thank you that you see, you even see the depths beyond what we, have, what we see right now. And if we will confess, I praise you that you are faithful and that you are just and that you have solved our sin, that we don't have to be weighted down by guilt. We don't have to be weighted down by our sin any longer because Jesus took that burden on him so that I wouldn't have to. And we're asking, would you empower us to live different lives, to live as a holy people who have been declared holy, who are being made holy in the character of Jesus Christ, and that we would walk and we would talk and we would live and we would think differently, not out of discipline, not out of better habits, but because we have met with God and he is transforming our very beings. Would you empower us when temptation comes seeking us that we would desire you more than that? We would pursue you. We would resist that sin and we would run to you and know that we can find comfort and strength and stability in you alone. We thank you that you are a good and righteous God. We praise you for your glory and your holiness and we ask these things in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. What I want to invite you to do here in the house, if you're joining at another location, I'm going to ask you just to stand because what we did is we wanted to take time to pursue the Lord together first through truth and through scripture and to let the Holy Spirit do work in our lives that it would free us to worship God with a new freedom, with a new burden that's been lifted off of us to worship in with passion and joy, knowing that we are the free people of God, no longer under condemnation, no longer under guilt, but we walk in joy and in freedom with him together. And so that's what we're doing for the next few minutes.
We are gonna have prayer leaders available. And so I'm gonna ask those prayer leaders if they will start making their way to those corners of the room. They're gonna be available for the first song to pray. So if you'd like to pray with one of them about any area of your life at all, just head to one of those corners. We will pray with you today. Um, And you don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to be a member of Lighthouse Community. Uh, We will pray with you about anything at all. So let me pray for you and then we're gonna lead into a time of worship. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.